You're listening to a podcast from the Lakes Church in Cairns, Australia. And would you please, for the last time, welcome Mike to come on up. Thanks, man. Well, thank you. Um, it's, uh, I'm just going to switch this off again. Uh, I know I said it already, I say it every time, but um, just love being with you guys, a uh, real privilege and a real joy. And um, I don't, um, a principle by which we we work, I work, is um, I spend about half the year um, uh, traveling uh, in different countries and serving, and um, um, the principle is um, only go where we're invited. Uh, so we never invite ourselves, never want to do that. Uh, but I have enjoyed it so much um, these last few days with you um, that um, I just want you to know I've invited myself back. Um, and hold on, it gets better. Um, I've accepted my invitation. And uh, um, so that's that, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, and uh, what I want to do this session is... Um, um, just want to uh, just just talk a little bit about how we hear God speak, and again, I just want to try and make it as practical as possible, and then we're going to just see what the Lord wants to do. And um, what I'm going to try and do not do is this: this isn't about convincing the skeptics about whether the gift of prophecy is for today. Uh, if you want to know more about that, there's some great books that's been written by theologians. Um, I, I'm, the, I'm not going to try and convince the skeptics. My aim is to equip the saints. And uh, it's not that we know more about the gift of prophecy. It's that we move uh, more in hearing God speak. And the way I'd like to do this is really by talking about um, one of my favorite subjects, me. And uh, I just want to tell you a little bit of my story about how I came into these things. I was an accountant until I was 29. And then when I was 29, God rescued me uh, from a life of meaninglessness, drudgery, and boredom. And I just want to say, if you're called to be an accountant, if you're anointed to be an accountant, if you're gifted to be an accountant, then that's exactly the place where you're meant to be. I was none of those things. And uh, then one day, um, uh, the vicar of my church, I'm, part of, I'm, an Anglican, I'm actually an Anglican vicar. I have a dress. Um, it's very fetching. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, he, um, he asked me to go and see him and I thought, oh my goodness, he's worked out my secret sins and he's come to, and then when I met him, I realized he hadn't discerned my secret sins. He didn't have that gift. And so he asked me if I would give up my job and be the youth worker of the church. And I said yes very quickly before he could discern my secret sins and change his mind. And, and I did that for about four years. Um, I was the youth, uh, youth pastor of St. Andrew's Church in Chorley Wood. And um, I loved it. I had a great time, and I loved the young people. But I, for some reason, I had it in my head. I'd got it into my head that when you kind of start off your your career in Christian ministry and leadership, the first thing that you do have to do is you have to work with the little people, um, where it doesn't matter if you get it wrong, uh, where you kind of learn on the little people. And then when you've done stuff with the little people, you graduate to do proper ministry with adults. And so after four years, I went to my vicar, 
And I said, I think it's time after four years that I should graduate and work with grown-ups. And he said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. And he said, let me pray about it. Then he came back to me and he said, okay, Mike, if you really want that, um, uh, from the 1st of September, um, I will appoint you assistant to the associate vicar. And I love that because it had the word vicar in the title. And if you're an Anglican, that's really sexy. And uh, he said, we will appoint a new youth pastor to take your place. Well, I was excited. The 1st of September came. I began my new role. I went into the church office and I realized something was wrong when they gave me my new calling card. And it said, Mike Pilavachi, ass to ass vicar. And then it went downhill after that. I realized within a few days that working with grown-ups is so boring. Everything happens in slow motion after you do stuff with the young people. Would you like another cucumber sandwich? And I thought, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself if this carries on. And I hated it. And not only did I not like the new job, but I missed the old one. I realized that working with the teenagers, it wasn't just a job, it was my life. I loved them. They were my family. And, and, and because the new youth pastor was, was appointed, I, I, I had to keep away because it wasn't fair on the new guy if the old youth worker kept interfering. And so for six months, I was in utter agony. I thought, I've made the biggest mistake of my life. And I felt vulnerable, and I kind of felt spiritually naked. I felt, I can't go back to the old job because it's taken. And, and this new one, it, I just feel like... I just, I just feel like I don't be, belong and, and all of that. And then um, after six months, a, a colleague of mine on the staff of the church called Barry Kissel uh, was invited to go to France to speak at a camp, uh, a conference. And he asked me to go with him to keep him company. And they didn't invite me. They didn't know anything about me. They didn't know anything about what I was going through. But I went with Barry. And the night before the conference started, we met with the French pastors over a meal. And we had a little meal, and again, they were talking to Barry, not to me. And then at the end of the meal, um, <coughs> we cleared the table, and we prayed. And there was about, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 French pastors, and myself and Barry. And the French pastors prayed in French, and Barry and I prayed in English, and someone translated. Um, obviously not for the Lord's sake, because he's bilingual, but for us, <laughs> so that we could understand each other. And then we were in the middle of this prayer meeting, when I noticed one of the French pastors got up and started walking to the door. And I thought, oh my word, one of them's leaving already. These French, they can't pray like us Brits. And uh, as I was looking at him, he went to this coat stand. And instead of taking his coat, he picked up this, this little girl's coat. It would have been a coat worn by a five or six-year-old girl. And I thought, what's he doing with that? And then instead of leaving, he started walking back towards the table. My curiosity started to get mingled with anxiety when I realized he was walking directly towards me. And he came, walked up to me, and he stood in front of me, and he held this little girl's coat open. He looked at me, and he said, put it on. And I thought, Houston, you have a problem. (laughs) And I looked at him, and I said, "Uh, I can't put it on. And then he said a second time, put the coat on. That's a French accent for you. And, and I was like, oh my goodness. And I said, look, I can't put it on. And then he said a third time. And I looked across at Barry. And I went, 
And Barry, being the man of faith and power that he was, he closed his eyes and carried on praying. <laughs> and I knew I was on my own. And then I thought, I need to meet this guy halfway. I need to make an effort. So I tried to put my fingers in the sleeve. And I made a big show of it. I went, mm, mm, mm. And then I took my fingers out and I said, you see, I can't put it on. And then he looked at me and he said, why not? And I thought, he's thick as well as French. (laughs) So I started talking to him the way we English speak to foreigners when we think they don't understand. I said, because it doesn't fit. No. And then he said to me, he said, exactly. And the Lord wants to say to you, stop trying to put the old coat back on. The old coat doesn't fit you anymore. You are between coats, between ministries, and you're feeling naked and vulnerable. And you're wanting to run back to the old coat, the old ministry. And the Lord says to you, wait for me, for I am preparing a new coat, a new ministry that will fit you for the next stage of your life. Well, I tell you, my heart was pounding. I was like, oh my goodness, he knows nothing about me. And yet God has spoken deep into my spirit. And I wanted to run around that room going, yes, God, yes, God, yes, but I didn't. And there were two thoughts that came into my head at that moment. And the first one, I'm ashamed to tell you. The first thought was, oh my goodness, God really does exist. And and I know I shouldn't have doubted because he pays my salary. (laughs) And may I say, that is the difference between me and most of you. I am paid to be good. Most of you are good for nothing. And, and, And the second thought was, The second thought was, and he knows all about me, and it's not an accident, and it's not my mistake, and he's got it in hand, and I've got hope and a future. And and then I went home, and when I went home, I started to think, oh my word, what was that? That was a prophetic word. I've never experienced anything like that before. And then I started reading the book, because I always go back to the book, and I realized you know, I've read stuff so many times, but I, I didn't realize that this book is, is filled with God speaking prophetically to his people. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke to a wandering nomad called Abraham. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Joseph through dreams. He spoke to Moses at a burning bush. He spoke to Gideon through a fleece. He spoke to Samuel when he was a little boy in the temple. And there's a whole section of the Old Testament called the Books of the Prophets, which is a record of God speaking prophetically to his people. Then I turned to the New Testament and I saw in the Gospels how the Lord Jesus, uh, before every, nearly every major decision or moment in his life, he would either go into a desert or up a mountain to pray. And it was as if he was getting his marching orders. And as I said earlier on, you know, he said in John 5, I only do what I see my father doing. I only speak the words my father gives me to speak. And it was as if he, he, was, he was tuned in and he was listening to the voice of his father. 
and he was being obedient. Then I read the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church, and I saw a church that was dynamically led by the voice of God. There's so many stories that we gloss over, that I glossed over. You know, even things like Phil. You know, when he's minding his own business over breakfast, and the Lord says to him, just get up, go to the Gaza Road, and stand there. And Phil does it. I mean, who does that? And then there's an Ethiopian eunuch, you know, that he overhears and you know the rest of the story. And there's so many times like that. Then I read um, the letters and uh, 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 the, the epistles and there was this one verse that just, I read it so many times, but it, it jumped out the page and hit me. And it was 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, where Paul says, make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. And remember, it's what we talked about in the first session. Make love your aim. If you make love your aim, then you won't hurt people. But eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And I thought, gosh, I've never seen it like that before. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And I examined that phrase, and I looked it up in the original Greek. Do you know what the phrase eagerly desire means in the original Greek? It means... To desire with eagerness. It's what I do before a meal. I desire with eagerness. And do you know what I'd done with the gifts of the Spirit up till that point? I'd done something that was quite holy and spiritual. I'd said, Lord, others may want your gifts, the works of your hands, the toys, but I'm on a different spiritual level. While others want your gifts, I just want you the giver others may be satisfied with the works of your hand but i want to see your face now that is very spiritual it is very holy and it's very wrong because the giver says eagerly desire my gifts if you want to see me eagerly desire my gifts and then why especially the gift of prophecy The clue comes two verses later on. For anyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And do you know, last time I checked in with the church, we still needed a bit of strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So I thought, okay, I'm convinced. So I thought, I'm going to eagerly desire, especially. So I went up to my bedroom, and I closed the curtains, Because I've always believed it's more holy in the dark. And I said, Lord, I eagerly desire, especially the gift of prophecy. Speak to me now. Give me a gift of prophecy now. And no one explained to me how you hear God speak. So I thought, I imagined you had to concentrate really, really hard to tune in to the right spiritual frequency. You know, like those old-fashioned radios that you had to turn the tuner. So I said, Lord, give me the gift of prophecy now. And then I went like this. And of course, I now know that that's not how you get the gift of prophecy. That, my dear friends, is the gift of constipation. (laughs) How can anyone hear anything when you're, ah, like that? And after ages of straining, the only thing that came into my mind was spaghetti. (laughs) And I'm telling you, there's only so many things you can do prophetically with spaghetti. 
the Lord says to you, Bolognese, to you, Carbonara. After that, unless the person's Italian, you've had it. And I thought, okay, I've eagerly desired, especially, he hasn't given it, so I'll, I'll, I've done it, I'll stop. I'm, the gift of prophecy isn't for me. And I forgot about it. And then a while later, the vicar of my church started, um, uh, started to do these retreats uh, for church leaders, uh, these 10-day retreats for church leaders and their spice. So we would have a whole bunch of church leaders and their spice would come and spend 10 days with us and uh, we would go through various um, subjects and that. And uh, I was told that on the last night, the Tuesday night, um, it would be a prophetic night and uh, a, a vicar from uh, Harrow nearby us called Bruce Collins would come who was prophetically gifted with an assistant from his church and they would do an evening of listening to God for everyone and prophesying to them. And I thought, I want, to, I want to watch this. So I asked if I could come. They said I could sit at the back. And uh, I went in, and the church leaders and their spice all sat in a semicircle. And Bruce and his assistant uh, sat on two chairs at the front. And then Bruce would invite them to come in pairs and sit in front. And then Bruce explained that his uh, colleague and he would be still and they would listen to the Lord and they would say anything that they thought the Lord might be saying to them. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't all 100%, but it was amazing how, how many times people said, well, that's, that's really helpful. That's what I've been praying about. Yes, that is what I would love. That is what, you know, that's, that's really helpful. And my eyes were on stalks. And at the end, I went up to Bruce and I said, how did you do that? I tried that and all I got was spaghetti. How do you do that? And Bruce said to me, Mike, it's actually learning to listen. It's learning to listen. It's learning to still your heart, to listen to the Lord. And the more you step out, and, and this is where, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, they are inert until you add an ingredient that makes them active. And the ingredient is faith. And faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a thought. Faith is a doing word. Faith is an action. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, and so he said, Mike, you can grow in this. Um, I'll tell you what, he said, I'm doing this again in six weeks' time. In six weeks, why don't you come with me and you can sit next to me and you can assist me and we can prophesy together. And I said, okay. And the reason I said, okay, was because he said it would be in six weeks. And I thought, right, I've got six weeks to clean up my act. I've got six weeks to become holy and spiritual. And I remember thinking, right, I'm going to pray every day for the next six weeks. I'm going to read my Bible every day for the next six weeks. I'm going to fast every day for the next six weeks. Hold on. Between meals. Because that's how I do my fasting. And after six weeks, I will be spiritual superman. And I will be worthy to be a prophet of the Lord. Well, you can guess what happened, can't you? I forgot. <laughs> and then one morning, six weeks later, I woke up. And I thought, I wonder what I'm doing today. And I got my diary. And then I sat bold upright. And I thought, oh no, today's the day when I'm supposed to become a prophet of God. And I lay in bed in a cold sweat and I thought, I don't feel very prophetic. 
I got up and I looked in the mirror and I thought, I don't look very prophetic. In fact, I look more pathetic than prophetic. (laughs) And then this nightmare scenario came into my head. I thought, tonight is going to be the humiliation that will be the humiliation of humiliations. And I thought, I'm going to be sitting next to Bruce, and he's going to prophesy to people, and he's going to prophesy from Ezekiel, because I'd watch him do it. And then he's going to turn to me, and everyone's going to turn to me, and then Bruce is going to say, what do you have, Mike? And I will say, not a lot. (laughs) And then the next couple will sit in front of us, and Bruce will have more words from Ezekiel. And then he will turn to me, and everyone else will turn to me, and Bruce will say, and what do you have for this couple, Mike? And I will say, pass. And this will go on all night. And I will be the first prophet in the history of Christianity who never prophesies. How can you have a prophet who never prophesies? And I just thought, this is going to be the humiliation. I thought, what am I going to do? I need to, do, I need to practice before tonight. And I thought, where's a safe place to practice? And I didn't have many options. So I asked the Lord to give me a prophetic word for my cat. And, and I, I received one. I said to my cat, I said, Jeremy, for that was his name. I said, Jeremy, the Lord says to you, meow. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest with you. Jeremy seemed blessed. But I knew that that wasn't really going to cut the mustard. And so I thought, I need to do this with human beings. So I went to the supermarket. And I got my shopping trolley out. And I started walking up and down the supermarket, looking at people, hoping that I'd get a word for someone. And I, and I remember there was I was standing at the end of an aisle, and there was this older lady, and she was in the middle, and she was taking um, her breakfast cereal and putting it in her trolley. And you know how sometimes you get a vibe, someone's looking at me? And as she was doing that, she stopped, and she looked up the aisle, and she saw me. And all I did was frighten people. And I went home and I thought, this is a disaster. This is terrible. And I just got a few hours before my nightmare scenario comes real. And I thought, what can I do? And I thought, you know what? If I can't, if I can't get the gift of prophecy, maybe I can try the gift of guessing. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know what? It's really risky unless you have a prophetic word like the Lord says, you're a man. And even that you can get wrong these days, can't you? (laughs) And so I thought, that's not going to work. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray that I get ill. Nothing really bad, but just ill enough so I don't have to go. So I laid hands on myself backwards. Less, Lord, less. But I didn't get ill. And the minutes were ticking away. And I started trying to do bargains with God. God, if you just give me one word for one person. I don't want any more. Just one. Just one. I'll never do this again. If you give me one word, I'll do anything you want. I'll, I'll, if you give me one word, I'll be nice to my sister. I'll, I'll even go as a missionary to New Zealand if you want. I'll do it if you just give me one word. And then the time came when I had to go to the meeting. And I went with a heavy heart. And I drove there, I parked the car outside, as I walked up the steps, there were two of these pastors together talking, and I overheard one of them say to the other, I think that's one of the prophets. And I thought, oh no, oh no. And I thought, well if I can't be prophetic, I may as well try and look prophetic, 
So I tried to give them my best prophetic look. I went in and there was Bruce sitting on one of the two chairs. It was my nightmare scenario. Bruce said, Mike, come and sit next to me. The pastors and their spice all sat in a semicircle all around me. What's the matter? Spice, plural of spouse. Do you not speak English here? And... And... And they, 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 um, and, and, and they were sitting in a semicircle. And then Bruce explained what we were going to do. And he invited the first couple to come and sit in front of us. And Bruce said, now Mike and I will just be still and we'll pray. And if we receive anything from the Lord, we think it's from the Lord, we're going to say it. And we closed our eyes. And I was, I was begging saying, please, Lord, just one, just one, just one. Please don't let me be humiliated. And as I just prayed, as I was still, the only thing that came into my head was Dancing Queen by Abba. (laughs) And I said, Lord, stop messing around. Now is not the time. I need a prophetic word. And I thought, maybe it's not the Lord, maybe it's the devil. So I started rebuking the devil. And you know what it's like when you try not to think of something. Men, guys here, you men, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I will not think that thought. What thought? That thought. Oh, no, I just thought it. You know what that's like. And it was like, that's what happened with Dancing Queen. And the more I tried not to think of it, the more it was pounding in my skull. And I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And then Bruce begins. And he prophesies from Ezekiel. And it's my worst nightmare. And then after a while, he turns to me. And everyone else turns to me. And Bruce says, and what do you have, Mike? I closed my eyes and I prayed the prayer I always pray when I am in complete trouble and nothing else will work. I prayed for the second coming. (laughs) I said, Lord, return now. End the world now. If you love, you've got to do it sometime. If you really love me, you'll do it now. But of course he didn't then, did he? Because if he did, we wouldn't be here, would we? Although some of you might. That's a joke, it's a joke. And, and, and then nothing else. And I thought, you know what? If I say pass, I'm going to say pass all evening. So I thought, Okay, I'll take a chance. I'll take a chance. Some of you got that. The rest of you, it's way over your heads. Oh, come on. Take a chance on me. And and so I looked. This is absolutely true. I looked at this pastor's wife. And I said to her, and I was shaking... I said, I think that maybe the Lord wants to say to you, in the words of Abba, (laughs) you can dance, you can jive, having the time of your life. And then I wanted to die. I said, ground, swallow me up. 
this isn't happening to me. It's a nightmare. Pinch myself. No, I'm actually here. And then to make matters worse, this pastor and his wife, they started laughing. Ha, 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 that's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, um, you can dance, you can drive. And, and I, by this stage, I was beyond caring. I was getting angry. And I wanted to say to them, I wanted to say to them, I hope and pray that the day comes when you two step out in faith and it goes horribly, horribly wrong for you. Oh, how I hope I'm there on that day to have a good laugh at you. But I didn't say that. And then the pastor's wife, she said to me, I suppose you're wondering why we're laughing. And I thought, yeah, and I have a feeling you're going to tell me. And she said this. She said, this is absolutely true. Three weeks ago, she said, in our church, I started a dance group with two other ladies that we would uh, uh, use dance in worship as part of the worship. And as we were coming to this meeting in the car, I said to my husband, when we go back home, I'm going to tell the other two, let's scrap the dance group. And I actually said to my husband, what was I thinking starting a dance group? I can't dance. I can't dance. God can even speak through ABBA, a second-rate Swedish dance group. I was the most shocked person there. I was like, huh? Huh? ABBA? Huh? It was like, no, how can it be? Because I expected God to speak like Charlton Heston. I expected him to speak in deep voice and, and with lightning and flashes and everything. It was like a song came into my head from Abba. And afterwards, I went up to Bruce and I said, what was that? And he said, it was a wonderful prophetic word. I said, how can it be? How can the Lord, how, Abba? And he said, of course. He said, that's how God speaks. He speaks our language. He speaks our language. He, Bruce said, I wouldn't be surprised if... Secretly, you had a collection of ABBA albums. <laughs> can, I, can I just... Because I feel like we're family now. Can I, can I just tell you something? Seriously, but please keep it to yourselves. You know, you know Agnetha, the, the blonde girl in our, lady in ABBA... She and I, years ago, we came that close to getting married. We did. The only thing that stopped us is we never met. <laughs> if we had met, I just know. And I was like, gosh, is that how it works? Is that how it works? And then Bruce took me through scriptures and he said, you know, God, God speaks like that. He speaks in riddles. Um, he doesn't speak clearly. He doesn't speak face to face. He speaks through visions and dreams. I haven't got time to, to show you, but uh, look up um, uh, Numbers 12 when Aaron and Miriam, uh, they complained about the Lord and, and how the Lord answered. Moses was the exception. And, and then, and then Bruce said to me, haven't you ever read the book of Ezekiel? And I thought, I know you have. <laughs> and, and Bruce said, in Ezekiel, 
You know, there's wheels within wheels and chariots of fire and dry bones coming together and someone lying on his left side for 390 days and, and, and all sorts of things like that. You know, God speaks in riddles. God doesn't speak clearly. And my question was, why? Why don't you speak clearly? And I think there are two answers. The first one I've alluded to already. You know what? For some reason, God loves faith. There's twice that Jesus was astonished. There's, it's pretty hard to astonish God, don't you think? It's pretty hard to leave him, oh my goodness, twice in the Gospels, Jesus is astonished. One time is, um, is, is the, the faith of the Canaanite woman. He says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. The other time is when in his own hometown, uh, they, they did not believe in him. He was astonished at their lack of faith. And for some reason, he loves faith. Because it's, an, it's a childlike thing. It's an act of trust. It's an act of trust. And, we, and it says in the scripture, we prophesy according to our faith. We prophesy according to our faith. And the second reason, which I think is even more important, is this. Uh, I, I, I believe that God's uh, ultimate purpose in his dealings with us is intimacy. It's to, he wants to be close to us. He wants to be present among us. That's a whole subject. Uh, if you trace the, the, the golden thread in the scripture um, of of the presence of God. He'll do anything to be close to us. Jesus, one of his Jesus' titles is Emmanuel, God with us. First question God ever had to ask uh, in the whole of God was where are you to Adam and Eve when they hid from him? He came searching for them. And he wants intimacy with us. And I think it's a fair summary of scripture to say that in the scripture, God shouts to his enemies and he whispers to his friends. He shouts to his enemies and he whispers to his friends. Why? So that we'll come close. So that we'll come close. And uh, do you remember Elijah? He won the great victory on Mount Carmel when the fire came down on his sacrifice. But then the Lord took him up another mountain, Mount Horeb. And out on Mount Horeb there came the earthquake, the wind and the fire. And God was not in the earthquake, wind and fire. Then came the gentle whisper, the still small voice. And Elijah put on his cloak and went back down the way he came. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. We evangelicals and charismatics, we need to relearn the art of contemplation. The art of being still. The art of listening. The art of listening. And my sister has three children and years ago when Joanna, her middle child, was about five or six, I was in a room with my sister and Jojo came to the door and my sister said, Jojo, come here, mummy's got something to tell you. And Joanna, being a typical five-year-old, said, no. And my sister, who's very clever, said, Jojo, mummy's got a secret to tell you. What is it, mummy? You'll have to come over here, otherwise I'm going to have to shout it, and Uncle Mike will hear, and you know he's not very good at keeping secrets. And Joanna went, what is it, mummy? You have to come closer. What is it, mummy? It's this. I can't hear you, mummy. Come closer. Joanna came closer and closer until it was too late. 
My sister grabbed her little girl and she said the secret's this. Mummy loves you. And Joanna went, ugh. Now, I don't, you know, human pictures in many ways are so inadequate to look at God, but God deals with human beings. And you know what? Sometimes he says, he whispers, what is it, Lord? Come closer. Come closer. Spend time in my presence. What is it, Lord? He wants us to come so close that we can feel his breath on our necks. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything, everything I have received from my Father, I have made known to you. Don't you want to be his friend? He wants to share the family secrets. He holds nothing back. And that's how it works. I come into land with this. Um, And I'm just going to tell you, and the reason I'm telling you these stories is because I used to think, it was was a long time before I started moving out in this, because I used to think it was all about certainty. You know, they asked Mother Teresa once of Calcutta, they asked her, do you have certainty? And she said, no, I don't have certainty. What I do have is trust. And that's how it works with the gifts of the Spirit. And... And I want you to know how it really works. Um, a while later, I, 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 I prayed with Bruce for other people. Actually, we went all over the world together. Uh, and uh, we did that in many different nations. Um, um, but I prayed with him. There was another time when before we were going to have the, 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 the prophetic evening, we had a meal with the pastors. And uh, I was sitting opposite this, uh, this couple. And the wife said to me, I hear you're Greek. And I said, I am of Greek extinction, yes. And she said, oh, I lived in Athens once, and I thought this is going to be a boring conversation, so I changed the subject like I want to hear about Athens. And uh, we talked about other stuff, and then it got to the time when they came and sat in front of us in the meeting, and we were listening to the Lord. And this time, to my horror, to my horror, as I was asking the Lord to speak to me, I got a Greek swear word going in my head, a really bad Greek swear word. And I was disgusted with myself. And I thought, what's wrong with you? You're asking Jesus to speak to you, and now you're swearing in Greek in your mind because she told you that she lived in Athens. Now it's gone into your head. You need to have your brain washed. You know, well, and I thought, right, okay, well, I'm just going to say pass. And then I'll get some counseling afterwards. I'm going to say I have nothing. And then I opened my eyes, and I noticed that Bruce was looking at me funny. And I was like, what, what? And he said, I think God's given you a word for this woman. And I was like, oh, come on. Now, I want to tell you the word. The word was skadula. And skadula, do you know what it means? No. Skadula skadula literally means um, um, female excrement, female poo. It's a terrible thing to say to a woman. In Greek, skada is neutral poo, skadenos is male poo, and skadula is female poo. I've examined all three types, and I can't tell the difference. But in the Greek language, there's, there's a, a difference. And, and, and skadula is a terrible thing to call a woman female excrement. And I was like, oh no, Bruce, no, I can't. And I thought, what do I do? What do I do? So I was just praying, God, give me wisdom. And I didn't know what to say. And I was like, this is going to be a disaster. 
And so I just looked at her and I said, please forgive me if this is wrong or it doesn't make sense. But the Lord wants to say to you, in his eyes, you are not a skadullah. At that point, she completely broke down. We had to stop the meeting. She was on the floor for a little while, sobbing. Her husband picked her up. And after she recovered, we heard the story. Before she was married to this pastor, she'd been married previously to a Greek man. That's why she lived in Athens. And he treated her horrifically. And he never, ever called her by her name, Mary. The only word he ever used for her was skadula, female excrement. Uh, if he was introducing her, if people came round for coffee, he would say, Skadulla, make me coffee. If he was introducing her to people in the street, he wouldn't say, this is Mary, my wife. He would say, this is my female excrement. I had no idea. God used that to heal her of all the pain. She wept it out in the arms of the Lord who said to her, in a way I could never have understood, I know. I know and I'm here. That's how it works. That's honestly how it works. And you know, some, often, it's like I was saying for those of you that were here this morning, sometimes we have to go for it when we don't understand. When we don't understand. I'm constantly amazed looking back. I'm just going to tell you one more little story and then we're going to stop. And this is one that I just, it kills me. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a year and a half ago, um, uh, we were having our festival, Soul Survivor, and I just got the impression, I thought the Lord was saying, um, there's someone here who doesn't know me, who's an atheist, says he's an atheist, um, and he's been mocking everything that's happening. Uh, his friends invited him and he's been here and he's been laughing at them and saying, this is stupid, this is nonsense. And then um, the Lord said to me, and he's just prayed to me for the first time ever, and he said to me, God, if you're real, if this is real, can you show me now, please? And then I felt the Lord say to me, and his name is Brian. And I said, all of that. I said, I think there's someone here. You've been mocking everything that's happening. You don't believe in God, but you just prayed for the first time ever and said, God, if this is real, could you speak to me? Could you show me? Well, your name is Brian. Brian, where are you? He's speaking to you now. Could you come forward? Immediately, this 15-year-old lad came forward sobbing, sobbing. His friends were all crying. They came and gathered round him. And they prayed for him. And that night, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And here's the bit I love. They were all telling me that the next day, Brian was going up to strangers. And he was going up to strangers and he was saying to them, he knows my name. He knows my name. How wonderful. How wonderful. Don't you long for that? I long for that. And for that, I'm willing to get out the boat. And I, this is the bit that I want you to know. God can use you like this. Now, the more you do it, the more you build it. It's like going to the gym. Um, so people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> my, my exercise is... I do r repetitive, you know, sets. 
<laughs> you know, the more you, you know, exercise your prophecy muscle, and it will grow, and it will grow. And the thing is, don't, don't, don't now, don't now tomorrow, go up to some a stranger in the church or in or in um, in the supermarket and say, "Oh, thus says the Lord." <laughs> don't do that. You can just say something like, um, "I was just wondering." Um, uh, do you do you have a sister? You know, say say you feel like the Lord says to you, um, "This person hasn't forgiven their sister, and they need to." Don't go up to them and say, um, "The Lord's told me that you haven't forgiven your sister, and unless you forgive your sister, God will not forgive you." Because you know that says that in Scripture, and they look at you and they say, um, "I haven't got a sister." Well, I'm sorry, you must have a sister because God's spoken to me, and it gets ridiculous. What you do is you say, "Hello there, I, I was just wondering, um, do you have a sister?" And if they say, no, I don't, you say, well, okay. Um, I just thought that maybe the Lord might be speaking to me. I obviously got it wrong. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. But they might say, yeah, I do. And then you can just say, I was just wondering. I could have this wrong, but has your sister really hurt you? Have you got a wound from your relationship with your sister? And they might say, actually, yes, I have. And then you say, you know, when you've been really hurt by someone close to you, it's really hard to forgive. I know how hard it is to forgive. Well, how would you feel if, if we went to the foot of the cross together and we asked Jesus to set you free from the pain of that and for you to set your sister free? Would, would you like that? You see, how we do it is as important as what we say. Say it kindly. Give them an opportunity to, to back out if they want. No, you might be wrong. And you know what? The more we do that. And you know what? A friend of mine had a word for some, a lady on a park bench. She was sitting on a park bench. And my friend felt the Lord say, he didn't know her, this young lady. She was reading the book. And my friend felt the Lord say to him, um, go, she's lonely and she needs a friend. And I want to be her friend. Go and tell her. So my friend went up to this stranger, this young lady, and he said, excuse me, but are you lonely and do you need a friend? Now, if that's not the Lord, you can get arrested. Uh, um, but she looked at him and tears came into her eyes and she said, yes, actually I am and I do. And he said, can I tell you about someone I know who wants to be a wonderful friend to you? His name's Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus. She ended up in church a few months later, my friend Blaine asked her, he said to her, um, I've just been curious, what would you have thought if I'd got that word wrong? Her eyes welled up again, and she said, to be honest, I'd have just thought you cared. Let's just care enough to go. Last little bit. How do, we know, how do we discern if something's from the Lord or not? Well, the first test, does it strengthen, encourage, and comfort? New Testament prophecy uh, in the context of the local church strengthens, encourages, and comforts. You know, when I first came across this, I was kind of always, whenever we had someone who was prophetic come to our church, I would repent of my sins in triplicate and remind him, like, they're, they're under your blood, Lord, and if they're under your blood, they're washed away. And if they're washed away, you, it says in your word, you said that you will remember my sins no more. And if you can't remember my sins, you can't tell him about my sins. But I was still convinced I would avoid the prophet's eyes because I thought he'll... 
And you know what? That, that reflected my view of God. That reflected what I thought of God. And you know what? In the context of the church, it strengthens, encourages, comforts. Rule number two, is it in accord with the book? God doesn't contradict himself. This is the final authority. This. If you hear of any, of any prophecy that contradicts the book, I don't care how anointed they felt. I don't care how many visions they had. It's wrong. Because we judge it by the book. And if you want to hear God speak more outside the book, spend more time in the book. Because the more you spend in the book, the more you will recognize his voice and you will know. That sounds like the Jesus that I know. Thirdly, in the scripture, we're nearly there. In the scripture, it says in Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now that means a whole load of things, but one of the things it means is true prophecy always gives glory to Jesus. It always testifies to Jesus. The gift of prophecy is not the Christian version of fortune telling. It's more about revealing Jesus than revealing the future. When that crazy French pastor came at me with that little girl's coat, my response was not, what an amazing French pastor. I want to worship you. I love you, French pastor. My response was, oh, Jesus, I love you more. You're so amazing. I, I, I just want to worship you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And finally, in the context of the local church, it might all be fine. But you know what? There's a place it says two or three prophesy in uh, 1 Corinthians, and others weigh what is said. And you know what? We've, we've got this idea that uh, prophecy, it's either from God or the devil. I think there's a third option. And that's, it's just a blessed thought. And sometimes I've heard prophetic words. There's been nothing wrong with them. They've not been unbiblical. But you know what? As soon as it's been said, everyone's forgotten it. And then someone else will have a word, and immediately everyone's, mm, mm. And, and it brings life. If someone has a blessed thought, nobody dies. We learn. We've all. We, do you have L plates? Those of you that are learner drivers, is it L? Well, we're 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 all prospective prophets with L plates, and we give each other space. We give each other space. We're all learning. Be, have grace. Go for it, and see what the Lord wants to do. It could be so exciting. You've already got the sense of community, the sense of love. The compassion, I can tell, is in this church. Just in your relationships. Can you imagine what could happen? Okay. Let's see what the Lord wants to do. Oh, wow. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask again. What else can we ask but that you send your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you move among us now? Would you do whatever you want? Equip us, fill us, anoint us. Lord, release compassion to us. Release the gift of compassion. May we share your heart. May we share your heart. Lord, pour out your love to us. That we would go out because of your love. And Lord, I pray that we would be naturally supernatural. 
that we wouldn't get weird. You can be as weird as you want, Lord. You're God. But Lord, we want to represent you well. Come, Holy Spirit. We wait for you now. Now just wait for him. Just wait for a while.